Open your Bibles with me to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 15 to 26, God willing, this morning. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 15. If you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives and let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is the Word of God. Father, we come before you and your Word because we're needy. We are sinners coming poor and needy. And we need your help to understand this word and we need your spirit to apply it to our lives and we ask it in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said. All right, how we doing? Let me ask it again. How y'all doing? All right. Did you get your coffee this morning out there in the lobby and, you know, get all fueled up and caffeinated? Or maybe it was a cup of tea, black tea, like my wife loves. Did someone welcome you this morning in the lobby to our gathering today? I hope someone, well, if you're an honored guest with us here in our gathering and haven't been welcomed yet today, allow me to do that. Welcome to Grace Church. We are really glad that you're here. If it's your first time or your second time and you're coming here and you're just kind of checking out what we're doing and who we are, it's our hope, as you've already heard us pray, that you will experience God here this morning and you will experience his son, Jesus Christ, because it's his name that we welcome you in 
this morning. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're a guest here today, said this last week, I want you to give us just five weeks. Give us five weeks to check us out. It's kind of like that new pair of hiking shoes that I put on my feet this last week, and they take a little breaking in period, right, to just kind of, you know, get, get them all, like, loosened up and get a good fit on those shoes. That's what it takes sometimes when you meet a whole new group of people. A little breaking in period. So just give us five weeks and see if maybe this would be a great fit for you here at Grace. Because it, right, it takes a little time to figure out if it's going to be a good fit. And time is actually what we're here to talk about this morning. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've learned that we're in a, ser- a series of sermons on a growth equation that I learned from my friend Ray Ortland. Okay, I don't put it up on the screen yet. Let's see if y'all can say it. I'm not even going to help you. What's, what's our gospel equation? Oh, I'm hearing it. I'm he- not all together, but I'm hearing it, which means hallelujah, you've been listening. and makes a preacher feel good. So the good news, plus safety, plus time is a church where anyone can grow. Time. No pressure. Okay, some of y'all needed to hear that this morning. No pressure. All right? Not even self-imposed pressure. No deadlines on growth. Okay, (laughs) box checkers, timeliners, eye callers, Computer addicts, confession, no deadlines on growth. Urgency, but not hurry. There's a difference. We're going to learn about that today. It's the difference between urgency and hurry. Urgency, but not hurry because no one changes quickly. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level because God is patient. Maybe you've run into some Christians who have not represented him very well in this regard. God is patient, friends. Complicated people. What exactly does that mean? Why are humans complicated? When we use the word complicated, we usually mean, I think, at least a couple of things. Complicated means something consists of many parts or elements. It's intricate, detailed, involved, many things woven together. You know, it's, it's, like, that, it's like that that string of lights that you put away so neatly, right? You put it in a little circle and you wound it around in a box last December. And come Christmas, you take it out and this happened. There's some little Christmas-like gremlin that got in your box. How does that happen? Right? Complicated, jumbled up and tangled. Difficult to get in there and pull apart and get all straightened out again. Sometimes it's easier to just toss them out, which would, see, my wife just wants to, like, get them all untangled. I just want to throw them away and buy new ones because they come in the box, like, all untangled. (laughs) Complicated can also mean perplexing, difficult to understand, 
It's like that moment, fellas, right? We all know it. She bought something. It's there waiting for you at your desk or the couch for you to put together. And you open that thing up and there's like 900 pieces in there with directions that you would swear are written in Greek and you didn't take Greek. Perplexing, difficult to understand. And both of those realities of complication apply to humans. Humans can be really difficult to understand. We are perplexing to one another. We often wish, parents, can I get an amen? When that little baby got handed to you, did you not wish it came with a set of instructions for how to take care of this human? And that they're, like every year, you know how sometimes you get directions like in the box and then already in there is like, uh, there's a correction to the directions, we got that part wrong. We want, in like, you're in year one and you're like, I need more. <laughs> Complicated, like, we consist of many parts and elements. We're all made up of mental and physical and spiritual and emotional pieces that sometimes get all tangled up and in a bind with seemingly no hope of getting all those pieces straightened out. And part of what Paul is doing in this letter and in this text but in this letter to real people, right? Real people, churches in Galatia, is he's putting his finger on a part of what makes people complicated. You see, it's not just you in there. It's two of you. Verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires... Sinful nature, spirit. Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So inside of you is a sinful nature craving evil and a spirit created and given desire for good. And I say that that is two of you because I'm just picking up on what Paul says elsewhere where he says there's an old man and a new man. It's an old creation and a new creation operating inside of you when you become a disciple of Jesus, and that is complicated. See, the Bible opens up the hood of our internal selves and reveals there a battleground. Every single one of you in this place and on that live stream this morning is a battleground. The Apostle Peter says that these desires, these passions of the flesh, wage war against our souls. You see, each of you, each of you, beloved, and and you are, you're beloved, you were made in the image of a holy creator. You were made beautiful, absolutely stunning in his image. And then Satan came and messed it all up. He, he came and he sought to disfigure that which was beautiful and he sought to dehumanize that which was truly human. He dragged all of humanity down with him and he's been seeking to dehumanize, to dehumanize every single human being that's been born into this world since the fall. And how does he do that? 
Paul is showing us through the complicating forces of the flesh which give birth to sin in our lives. And that, friends, creates an urgent problem. Urgency. There's urgency here. The problem comes about because under the unrelenting assault of the flesh, given our frailty, fatigue sets in and we let in. We give up and we go along. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So it's not exhaustive, right? He's not giving you the, like this is all the sin in the world. He's just giving you an example. There's a lot of other ones like these. And all of these things, these works of the flesh proceed, N.T. Wright says, from the deep recesses of our fallen personalities. So that's why it takes time to rethink our, right, you're getting that definition of time, to rethink our lives at a deep level because we're complicated. There's these things that the flesh is producing from the very deep recesses of us. And the results are clear. Paul says the results are very clear. And this is interesting. They're largely communal. Do you see that in the list? We live, and you know this, you're under the assault of it. We live in an age of outbursts, impatience, rage, and accusation. We live in a culture filled with tribalism, with people quickly taking sides and creating factions that then lob tweet bombs of conflict and cancellation. This is a world of hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. And when you look around, do you, do you see that that's helping people live a happy life? Do, do you... People are not happy. They're unhappy because it's an environment that's dangerous. And that environment, sometimes we do this as Christians, you know it's out there. It's out there. They're like that. The problem is we still carry that flesh. It's still waging war against our souls as disciples of Jesus. And that environment out there makes its way in here. Because wherever you go, there you are. Some of you are just getting that. And disciples are not past the potential for this kind. Listen, disciples are not past the potential for this kind of behavior. Because we are not done with the flesh creating it in us. We still have that old nature, that old man fighting inside of us. And Paul is writing to us because he longs to see the church flourish and grow. He's, again, remember, this is real people who are struggling in these very real ways. And Paul is this loving pastor who loves his people. And he's just writing to all of these churches to help them see the battle that's waging inside of them. And he wants them to grow. So he reminds them, he says, I don't want you to be a community that's torn apart by this kind of sin. Verse 21 
And apparently he'd already told them about it in a separate letter when he had met some of them. Let me tell you again, as I have before. Okay, we need reminders, right? That anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, friends, there is a day coming Oh, and we have sung about it. We have sung that we want it to happen. We want Jesus to come back and he's going to restore all things and he's going to make all things new and he's going to rid a creation that is groaning under the weight of sin from that weight. He's going to free us from the battle of the flesh. And what this text is telling us is that when that kingdom is fully restored, the work that he began when he came, when that is fully restored, on this earth, okay, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no room for people who live this way to live there. Because you won't fit. And they'll be exiled forever. And that's urgent. The people of Jesus must live in a radically different way. They must rethink their lives at a very deep level down to the deep recesses of their fallen personalities. This is urgent, friends. But ironically, it can't be hurried. Listen, our aim, this is what I'm suggesting to you, that our aim as a church family is to be a place where anyone can grow. That's what this three weeks has been about. That's what I want for us. And that growth, you, do you know how we grow? There's only one way we grow. It's by focusing on Jesus. So Paul said, by looking at Jesus, I am changed from one degree of glory into the next. I, I have to have my eyes set on Jesus. And I do that because Jesus is true humanity. If I want to see what it looks like to be a true human, exactly the way a human should be, I look at the only perfect human that has ever walked the earth. Jesus. And I seek, and we seek as a family, to move one step closer to him in both proximity and likeness. That's what we want. That's why we're here. And we'll do that as we are a source of constant immersion in his good news and wave upon wave of his grace. We'll do that as we are a community where no sinner seeking Jesus has anything to fear, but instead finds a safe place where they can confess and unburden their souls. Gospel, safety, and we do that as a church family. We'll help people grow. I guarantee you, I guarantee you this. I don't make many guarantees. But if we supply freedom from pressure, even self-imposed pressure, where there are no deadlines on growth, where there, on growth, where there is no urgency, where there's urgency but not hurry because no one changes quickly, least of all us, If we give people time to untangle the complication of their lives, we'll be a place where they can grow. I mean, think about this. Aren't, aren't we as humans silly? 
we can be so patient with ourselves and so blooming impatient with other people. I mean, have you ever tried to change? <laughs> have you ever tried to change? Ever had a habit that you're trying to give up? Tobacco, alcohol, coffee. Well, not coffee. No one should ever give up coffee. But have you ever had a habit that you're trying to, to give up? It's hard, isn't it? It's like really hard. And you didn't get it done just by deciding to give it up. Oh, I'm going to give this up. Boop, it was done. Magical, little fairy dust of change, you know, just dropped on your head. And you probably didn't accomplish it in just one day, did you? And it is very likely that you didn't try to do it on your own. Maybe you got into some kind of program or you shared it with a couple of friends who could hold you accountable or you, you said something about it on social media so that all of social media would hold you accountable. Spur you on towards your goal, right? Getting, breaking some habit was a process. It took days, months maybe. Maybe you're still trying. Paul understands this. He understands that, and don't miss this, even with the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit, change in you will come gradually. Isn't that something? As gradual as, oh, I don't know, fruit growing on a tree. Have you ever watched fruit grow? I'm guessing not. I'm guessing there's not a lot of people who are like, oh, look at that apple. Okay, let's go. Here we go. Right? Like, you probably haven't done that. Because if you did, you wouldn't see any growth, would you? If you, you could sit there for a few hours and you wouldn't see any growth. But if you waited a few days, a few weeks, you would see growth in fruit or vegetables or whatever. And human growth is just like that. That's why Paul is using the metaphor. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if we had time, I would point out that that's a singular, and we get into how like all of this comes together, and it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and I think Paul means for all of this to work together. It gets unloaded in your life altogether. We don't have time to do that to move on. What I want us to see this morning is you can't hurry the kind of growth that the Holy Spirit means to produce. Now, you still have to be involved, right? It's like when you plant a tree or you put a plant in your front yard here in Slida. You, you water it. You, you give it some fertilizer maybe. You put a fence around it to keep these mule deer that seem to be like squirrels from eating it, right? You, you tend it so, that, so there's an effort that you put in, but then like a farmer, you stand back and, and you pray and you hope for growth. You give it time. Let's, let's transfer it closer to the human realm to help us understand. We understand this if, if you've had children, you understand this with your kids, right? When my kids were babies, I, I loved, I love babies. You, you hold this little baby and you could just sit and look at a little baby for just hours. 
right, in your arms, or, oh, my favorite thing to do in the whole wide world is to, like, eat a big Sunday dinner, like, roast and, roast and carrots and mashed potatoes, and, and then you lay on the couch that's set in the sun, and then Susan would put this little baby on my chest, and you just fall asleep. Isn't this just the greatest thing in the whole wide world? And you could look at a little baby for hours, and you wouldn't see it grow, but you feed them, and you water them, and you defend them from dangers, you invest into their lives, and the next thing you know, they're like 15 and 18-year-old men, like man-childs that have just grown up in front of you because it, it took 15 and 18 years to see the growth. I, and the curious thing is their father is 52 years old and he's still growing too. See, it takes time. Stuffing food down their gullets to try and make them grow faster doesn't work, right? It takes time. We, we, don't have, we don't have the power on our own to make that happen. And that is exactly what Paul is saying for the kind of fruit that he is after. The kind of transformation that he wants to see, rehumanizing us with these humanizing qualities of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control is a gradual process that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, verse 16. The Spirit gives us desires, verse 17. You are directed by the Spirit, verse 18. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, verse 22. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives, verse 25. Family, how encouraging is this? I don't have to worry or be anxious. If I believe in Jesus Christ and he is my savior and my king and I am submitting my life to him, growth will happen. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in my life. If you are a disciple of Jesus and connected into the vine, Paul is... Paul is giving us here a description of something that is happening, not a goal that you are shooting for. Now, it's, it's kind of both and. But, but there's this, and it's not let go and let God. That, that, that's too simplistic. But there is, Paul is saying, I, I want you to receive. I, I, I want you to come with the empty hands of faith and, and receive the work of the Spirit in your life. And we come in here and we say, Okay, yes, bring it, God. I, ju I just, here I am. You know, it's Lent, season of Lent. And Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is gonna be here in three weeks. I've been reading this book called On Earth as in Heaven by N.T. Wright each night before I go to bed to sleep um, just to prepare my heart Here's what I read the other night from Wright. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now invited to belong to it. And you are. <laughs> You're invited. And precisely because the resurrection was and is bodily, 
albeit with a transformed body, the power of Easter to transform and heal the present world must be put into effect in the intimate details of our daily lives. That's the power of the resurrection, friends. It's not some separate theological thing that's just kind of out there that made Christianity real. It is the empowering force that's pulsating in the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. Resurrection power. Christian holiness, he goes on to say, consists not of trying as hard as we can to be good. Did you hear that? Consists not of trying as hard as we can to be good, but of learning to live in the new world created by Easter, the new world we entered in our baptism. Well, there are many parts of the world we can't do anything about except pray, but there is one part of the world, one part of physical reality that we can do something about, and that is the creature each of us calls myself. And the way I think, end quote, the way I think, Paul is suggesting that we do that is by receiving the guiding, directing, empowering work of the Holy Spirit. That's how. Okay, we're almost done. I've got one more thing for you before we're done, all right? How does that happen? How? I have grown up in a generation that is always on the move in a culture that values speed and immediacy, busyness and full schedules, constant access, making things happen, getting things done, being everywhere at once, knowing it all and fixing it all quickly. Haste is the air that I have breathed and maybe you could say you're with me. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. I've seen what it can do to the human soul. I've seen what it has done to my soul. I've seen what it can do to a church family. A constant craving for more and more and more and more and fast and right now and let's do it. What if there was a different way what if we all just, no, <laughs> I was going to say, what if we all just slowed down? Some of you don't need to hear this. I get that. I'm preaching to myself up here. Some of you are already helping teach this to me. Some of you do need to hear it though. Because a wise man in this church told me that even in Salida, you can be tempted to be too busy. So what if it, what, what if we were patient with each other and with ourselves? What if that fruit, part of the fruit of the Spirit, patience, was actually the pathway to all the other parts that God would have for us? A few months ago in our time of transition, I was watching this documentary called Live Godspeed. It's only 38 minutes. You can go on the internet this afternoon, watch it. I've watched it three times already. I commend it to you. It's, it sets a vision for what I think pastoral ministry and what church life could look like. In that documentary, N.T. Wright, of all people, I've already quoted him, but he, he says this. Some years ago, someone wrote a book called Three Mile Per Hour God, 
because basically most people walk about three miles an hour. The thought of moving at only three miles an hour fills us in our generation with horror. But what if we did this? Can you imagine how much more we would see? Is the problem maybe that we want God to go 60 miles an hour when he walked as a man around Palestine at three miles an hour? What if, and this just slapped me like a two-by-four across the forehead, what if to catch up with God, we had to slow down? (sighs) What if? What might it look like to live God's speed? Eugene Peterson in the same film said, maybe the slowing down has more to do with a habit of being there. You can't just rush through life. One of the things technology makes it so difficult for us to do is there's so much quick information. And if we don't get the information quickly, we'll forget about it. Somebody else is going to have to figure it out. But you know what? Nobody's going to figure out a person quickly. You see, I think what Eugene wants us to see is that sometimes we treat people like that string of Christmas lights and we give them a couple of minutes we're trying to help them rethink their lives at really deep levels and they're really complicated and the issues are complex and then after five ten minutes and you're not figuring it out you just get frustrated and so you just toss them aside because it's too much they're too complicated but no one changes quickly. It takes a lot of space and time for people, complicated people, to rethink their lives at a deep level. And because God is so patient with us, oh, and how we need to remember this, 2 Peter 3.9, it says he is, he's patient with us. Then shouldn't we be patient with ourselves and with each other? It takes time to grow. It takes time Do you know something? People will be annoying. People will be offensive. People will make it difficult to love them. People will give you reasons to write them off or avoid their company. People will behave in ways that upset or even shock you. And do you know what those people need? Ephesians 4, someone who is walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called and with all humility and gentleness, with patience, will bear with them in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. People like that will need someone who, Colossians 3, with a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, and patience will bear with them and if they have a complaint against that person will forgive them even as God in Jesus has forgiven you people that are offensive will need someone who will admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with them all always seeking to do good to one another and to everyone. People like that will need a person who will slow down 
and just take some time and be willing to listen to them. Because you know what? I don't think that that happens all that much in our fast-paced culture. I don't. Because we're just on to the next thing. When a really broken person in front of you really needs to be heard. People like that will need people who give wave upon wave of grace. People like that will need people who are safe. People like that will need people who are patient and give a lot of space. Worship team, would you come up? You know what it would look like if this happened, family? I'll tell you. It would look like a husband who isn't frustrated when his wife splashes her sin all over him or shares that burden with him but instead patiently applies the grace of the good news and stops and listens to her as she rethinks her life at a deep level. It would look like a father who doesn't tell his sons, just stop that when they're doing something they shouldn't and instead presses into the deeper reasons of the heart that is causing the behavior. A father who isn't rushing to the next task on the list or the thing that needs to be done, but stops when needed and listens to the heart cry and the rethinking of themselves and their personalities and the sharing of the grief and the pain and is simply present. It would look like a friend who stops what he's doing when a brother shares that sentence, you know it, right? You know that sentence, that one that is really significant. You know it's just the tip of the iceberg in their heart. And instead of jumping in and offering advice, just says, tell me more about that, would you? That'd be a pretty great place to be. It would look like each one of us, one person at a time, in the midst of this large community of disciples of Jesus, helping to create a gentle environment of good news and safety and time, a place where anyone can grow.